Hey everyone, Eric Grenier here, and welcome to the 38th episode of The Writ Podcast. The Ontario election is going to be officially kicked off in a little more than three weeks, and the parties at Queen's Park are making their final preparations for that campaign. Candidates are being lined up, and political ads are already starting to hit the airwaves. So to catch us up on all the latest developments, I'm joined again today by Sabrina Nanji of Queen's Park Observer. You can check out her newsletter at qpobserver.com. Hi, Sabrina. Hey, Eric. Thanks so much for having me back. Yeah, there's been just so much to talk about. And I wanted to start with the candidates because the candidates are really how, you know, the race is going to be won. And the PCs had a few interesting names. The ones that I, you know, flagged was the former police chief, uh, Mark Saunders, and uh, someone named Michael Ford, who's going to be running for the PCs. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, um, political dynasties running strong here in Ontario. Uh, you know, Michael Ford uh, has thrown his hat into the ring. He'll be the PC party candidate in York Southwestern. Um, that riding is currently held by the NDP, but uh, I would say definitely a competitive spot. Uh, you know, uh, I, I had heard some liberals were a little nervous about that that too because Michael Ford is is a big name. Um, he's got a lot of. Uh, you know, uh, capital behind him at the local level, for sure, you know, uh, and of course, the, the forward name obviously goes a long way in politics, and especially um, in that area of Toronto, too. Uh, it's not quite Etobicoke, you know, what we call Ford Nation, uh, the heart of the Ford family's political base, uh, but it, but it's close, it's close enough that for sure, it's going to give the NDP's candidate, Faisal Hassan, a, a run for his money. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's definitely someone to, to contend with, I would say, a, a star candidate. And you also mentioned um, Saunders as well, the former police chief. I think it's kind of funny how we see our, our uh, police brass entering into politics. You know, he's not the first one to do it. I don't think he'll be the last. We've got Bill Blair, uh, you know, uh, on the liberal benches federally, too. Um, and, and that's going to be a really interesting race to watch uh, over in uh, Don, Don Valley West, because, uh you know, we've got some high profile contenders there. He's running against Erwin Elman, another former, if I can put it that way, uh, you know, uh, the former child and youth advocate who's carrying the NDP banner over there. Um, and this is former Premier Kathleen Wynne's stronghold. Uh, you know, Wynne was one of the few, one of seven liberals that managed to hang on to her seat. Obviously, she was leader at the time. Um, former premier, no longer a leader anymore. Now it's Stephen Del Duca as the captain over there. But uh, Wynne is actually making her farewell speech uh, in the legislature this week as with a lot of outgoing incumbents. Um, and incumbents tend to get a leg up. So I think, you know, especially York Southwestern, like we mentioned, and, and Don Valley, these are um, contentious spots. And I think, you know, it's going to be tough a tough slog for the Liberals too. The Liberals have uh, Stephanie Bowman, um, you know, running in... Uh, in the hopes of, you know, uh, replacing Kathleen Wynne and, and taking that seat. Uh, I would say she's she's a bit lower profile. I know a lot of uh, grits that I was talking to on the ground. They were excited about, you know, her potential fundraising power. Um, obviously, campaigns cost money. The liberals need it. Uh, we can get into the ads and, and the cost of, uh, and all that. But uh, I would say Bowman is a bit of a lower profile candidate, and she's really got her work cut out for her going against Saunders uh, and Elman there. She's a she's a banking executive, you know, a, a strong contender. But I think in terms of if you're knocking on the doors, uh, you know, uh, maybe people won't. Uh, you're, you're not necessarily a household name like the other two. So yeah. some interesting races to watch for sure. And it's interesting that for the PCs, these are not 
seats that they already hold that they're, you know, the incumbent's not running. And so they're putting a star candidate there. These are seats that they're on the offensive. They're trying to take them from the other parties. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's a strong, it's a strong offense for sure. Uh, I think we've talked about it before the GTA, um, the outskirts of Toronto, these are typically, you know, they swing between liberal and NDP. That's not to say the PCs don't have, you know, their tenter hooks in there, but a lot of these spots, they tend to swing, um, you know, any which way. So it's not a, you know, it's not a slam dunk for any party by any means. Uh, and I think we're going to see a bit more of that from the conservatives trying to pick up spots, uh, most of the polling is suggesting these days that the the Ford government is on track to win, you know, another mandate. Uh, I think it'll be the the big question is whether it's going to be a majority or minority. How big of a majority can they get? So we're going to see them pushing really hard to pick up some seats that uh, they might be worried about, especially you know with the loss of a, a bunch of incumbents. Uh, you know, every party is, is losing some of their incumbents, uh, and you know that that's a big loss. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out on the ground. For sure. While the PCs, as you mentioned, they're leading in the polls. We've seen some polls that give them a lead of double digits over the other parties. Um, most polls have the Liberals or the New Democrats both below 30%. So really does seem to be at this stage the PC's campaign to win. Um, so are you seeing this play out in terms of who the, P, uh, the Liberals and the New Democrats have been able to recruit? Have there been any kind of star candidates that uh, suggest, you know, there is some momentum on their sides that some people believe that they can form a government? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there are there are some. Um, I mentioned Erwin Elliman for the, the NDP. Um, the, the Liberals, you know, not too long ago were pumping up Lee Fairclough uh, over in the Etobicoke area, Etobicoke Lakeshore. Um, that's held by the PCs right now, Christine Hogarth. Um, and it's actually one riding that I think a lot of conservatives are, are a little bit nervous about, too. And, and definitely all parties can kind of see, um, you know, that area. Maybe maybe they can take it. Uh, there were a lot of close races in 2018, too. Um, but the, the, the liberals that I've talked to, they're not so happy about uh, Lee Fairclough, who's, you know, a hospital CEO, but she works in Kitchener. Of course, she lives in Etobicoke. But you can definitely expect the PCs to kind of attack her on that line. Like, you know, she doesn't she's not from the riding, that type of thing. There's no rules against that um uh, or i should say she doesn't work in the, in the riding but uh we have seen you know the the liberals also they they were touting their health their health care um, minded candidates you know they've got registered nurses um tyler watt i'm thinking in the peons the the underdog you know to go against lisa mcleod who who's represented the conservative minister who's represented that area um for, for, for a very long time now, but I think it will be interesting. Um, one of the areas I'm watching is Windsor because the NDP have lost a couple of their incumbents there who won't be running again. Um, Percy Hatfield and Taras Nadishak, uh, the conservatives had nominated their candidates there months ago um, and they've been knocking on doors, you know, so it, it, it's hard to, to build a profile. Incumbents get the benefit of running on the record, you know, people kind of recognize who you are, uh, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I guess all politics is local, right? Like you, you got to talk to the person, people at the doors. We don't necessarily vote for our leaders, but I think um, you're right that the more compelling um, outcome for me to, to watch is going to be who's runner up. Like, will it be the NDP or the liberals? And so we're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, really intense battles there.
Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned Kitchener. I, I've recently uh, written a little bit about those ridings. They, it's really a battleground in the upcoming election. So if you have a, a good name in Kitchener, it would seem like a, a good place to put one. But uh, we'll see how that's going to play out. You mentioned before um, the ad. So we have seen the PCs come out with their ad, which has their slogan, which is um, get it done. Um, bit of a command there, get it done. Uh, the New Democrats also seem to have put out uh, their ads. They're using some similar language, though their slogan is different. But um, you mentioned, you know, who's going to be the runner up. We did see an attack ad from the PCs against Andrew Horvath. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, a couple of months ago before uh, there's these uh, restrictions on how much parties can spend. So they had these uh, right now we're in the pre-writ period. So we've got some limits, but just before this kicked off a couple of months ago, we saw both the, the NDP and the PCs sort of attacking liberal leader Stephen Del Duca. Of course, they were attacking each other as well, but um, we didn't really hear much from the liberals and it's still been crickets from that party too. They, they are, you know, relatively speaking, cash strapped right now, um, you know, campaign ads, TV, radio, they're not cheap. Uh, and so I've I've kind of crunched some numbers and um, looked at the the Facebook ads and the liberals are the ones, you know, doing the most on social media, uh, whereas the the NDP are doing um, social media ads as well, but not not so much from coming from the PCs. So I think uh, it's interesting and it kind of tells you, you know, who's the the person to beat here. And you're right there. There were similar slogans. Uh, from the NDP and the and the PCs, uh, in one of the NDP ads, Andrew Horvath says, "You know, together we can get it done." That seems to echo what we heard from the the PCs. They also had a, had a new jingle, you know, about only Doug will will get it done. <laughs> I'm not going to uh, subject you guys to me singing it, but yeah, if you want to check it out, I mean, I, I guess like it it remains to be seen how effective these ads are. But I think that. Um, you know, the, the time is really ticking for the liberals to, to do this. Uh, they've, um, you know, they, they haven't really put out much. Uh, we've kind of seen liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, he's ditched his glasses. It seems like he's getting a little bit of a makeover there. Um, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, if you allow your opponents to define you before you define yourself, uh, that, that could really hit you at the polls. Um, not a lot of people know about Stephen Del Duca and what they do know uh, is not so great. Uh, you know, he's gotten in trouble with the Auditor General for when he was Transportation Minister, putting go stations maybe in his riding that weren't, you know, what experts uh, were suggesting. He kind of tried to bypass local rules to get a pool in his backyard, like expect to hear a lot of that coming from the, the opposing parties. But, uh, you know, time's ticking. We're only a couple of weeks out from the start of the campaign. And uh, it's kind of like, where, where are the ads? And the party says, stay tuned, they're coming. Um, but I, I think, yeah, we're, we're going to see a lot more from the PCs. Uh, their theme seems to be uh, everything's going great. Ontario's coming back. Doug Ford says, yes, that's a huge change from 2018 and, and the tune they were singing then, you know, uh, talking about austerity measures, uh, you know, uh, balancing the books. And now it's like, we're, we're big spenders. We're, we're going to make it rain. And so it's, it's funny what a couple of years in the pandemic will, will do to your mandate, I guess. Yeah. As campaign songs go, I've heard worse uh, for the PCs. It's not too bad. But um, yeah, for the liberals, if, as you mentioned, if they have less money, they got to be a lot more strategic with how they spend it. So the calculation might be that, you know, when attendant, uh, when attention is going to be highest during the campaign, that would be the time to, you know, buy the ads. But it does, as you mentioned, set themselves up to be 
um, defined by their opponents. So there's a risk there. But, you know, if you only have a certain amount of money, because in, in Ontario, there is a public subsidy, right, of the political parties, and it is based in terms of how much, many votes you had. So just there, the Liberals didn't do well in the last election. So right there, they're making, you know, they're getting a lot less money than the, the other parties, and not to mention just having to raise money too, right, which is uh, a bit of a challenge as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I had looked at the Q1 fundraising numbers and the, the Liberals and the NDP were were uh, close. And of course, you know, I should add the caveat that they don't include uh, disclosure. Elections Ontario doesn't disclose donations under $200. Uh, the NDP says they've actually made a lot more than what's publicly out there right now, because they tend to be the party of smaller uh, number donors, I should say. So people giving like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, uh, as opposed to thousands of dollars, which we've seen from the PCs, but the, the conservatives, um, you know, not surprisingly have just blown uh, the other parties out of the water. So they, they've got money to burn right now on the campaign. And look, you know, uh, the, the liberals, uh, they, they, they boast about wiping out the, the party's debt uh, from 2018. So I think for the most part, they're, they're feeling that they won't tell us that they're cash strapped right now, but uh, they, they're not really telling us the, the numbers either. The, the real numbers, like the NDP says that they're over, at over a million um, uh, raised in Q1 and they say that it's more than the other parties. But of course, you know, that's based on their internal numbers. So I guess the, the line is, is show us the money and we'll, we'll get to see some more of this like uh, after the election when everyone's filing their receipts uh, and, and doing their due diligence with the, the public disclosures there. But, you know, campaigns cost money uh, and that per vote subsidy you mentioned is going to be phased out. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where these parties uh, are going to be directing their resources. And that'll maybe indicate, you know, where they're feeling confident and where they're feeling a little more uh, at risk. I want to talk a little bit about some of the impact from some things that have been happening here in Ottawa. Uh, the first one being the uh, confidence and supply agreement that the federal liberals and New Democrats signed to keep Justin Trudeau's government in power until 2025. If if the, if the agreement holds. Um, and it meant that Stephen Del Duca and Andrew Horvath had to answer some questions about what they would do if the PCs fall into a minority government. Are, are we likely to see, from what they've said, are we likely to see the same kind of agreement if the PCs fall short of the 63 seats they need for a majority government? Well, certainly no party is going to say that uh, outright, you know, just as they're heading into a campaign. So actually, you know, this federal pact has kind of made it a bit awkward for the their uh, provincial cousins, uh, you know, uh, Andrea Horvath saying that, she, that both parties, I should say, you know, uh, not not wanting to prop up a Ford minority. Um, they haven't really had any formal discussions with each other. I think Stephen Del Duca was a little more cagey saying, you know, uh, the public wants to see politicians work together, but you know, so far the the Doug Ford government he can't support a lot of those things. So, um, a lot of awkward questions. I think the big winner in this whole thing has been Doug Ford. Uh, you know, keeping the the Liberals in in power till twenty twenty five. You know, if things hold as you said, uh, I think I've mentioned before uh, to your listeners that there's Ontario tends to be the opposite uh, provincially as we are federally. So we've got Conservatives at Queens Park right now, and we saw in September. Ontario voted overwhelmingly in favor of the Liberals federally. So, you know, we and we've also seen Trudeau 
and Ford have this bromance when just a couple of months ago they were ripping on each other on the campaign trail. So uh, it, it's funny, you know, uh, the difference between campaigning and governing, but the Ford government is making a lot of big spendy promises, um, a lot of, uh, you know, cash that's going to have to come from the feds. And so uh, I'm, I'm sure the premier doesn't want to be rocking the boat right now either. Uh, they have this ambitious transit plan for the GTA and, and Hamilton area. Um, that's not fully costed. A lot of that money is expected to come from the feds. Uh, they'll, they'll need federal support. We just got the announcement for this big childcare deal um, finally signed in Ontario, the, the last provincial holdout. So I don't think that the Ford government is going to rock the boat. I think that it'll be interesting to see uh, what this means for the Liberals and NDP uh, and candidates on the campaign trail. We had seen in 2019 in the federal election that uh, Stephen Del Duca and his candidates were kind of piggybacking on some of the door knocking going on there. He was out and about with federal uh, uh, MP wannabes, you know, kind of trying to build up his profile as well. I wonder if we'll see that happen, um, you know, come May during the campaign. We, we had seen, you know, uh, Wynn and Trudeau, uh, you know, playing that game a little bit too in, in the past. And so I think it's kind of made things a bit awkward for the parties, uh, in Ontario, uh, you know, having to answer these questions. So I, I think that's why that's why I think, you know, the race for second place is one of the most compelling to watch uh, and, and to see, you know, uh, procedurally uh, speaking, like what a minority would, would mean for Ontario. Yeah. And uh, each of them, I'm sure, wants to not prop up for government, but be propped up by the other party, not to be the one propping up anybody, right? Um, but you mentioned the childcare deal, and it just seems to be another thing that the federal liberals uh, have done that is not going to be doing many favors to their provincial cousins or the NDP, uh, because it, it seems to have taken away an attack line from the opposition parties against the Ford government. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, There's not much to harp on. Um, like The deal is done now. Uh, and really the only attack line that the opposition has is, well, it, it's a little too late, you know, like what's like what took so long? It was an election ploy. I know this is going to mean a, a lot for families. And of course, you know, uh, a lot of folks say it could have gone farther, but Ontario can now brag that they got some more infrastructure dollars. Uh, and it, it kind of takes some of the steam out of the opposition parties who have already had a really tough time, especially during the pandemic, getting their message out there. Um, and so I think we're going to see a lot more reminders of, you know, the, the pre-pandemic Doug Ford days, uh, you know, a lot of talk about broken promises, things like that. Um, and now it's, it's a bit ironic. We've seen the Liberals, uh, they're accusing the PCs of going on a pre-election spending spree, which, uh, you know, they have. They're making it rain. There's funding announcements every day. Um, almost every day, I should say. And, you know, that's something we had also seen from the Liberals, like just before 2018, too. So I think every party does it. Um, I don't know, you know, how much the electorate is going to buy into that. But I think that um, certainly a lot of uh, opposition critics feel like the Conservatives are trying to essentially buy votes right now. You know, there's a lot of rebates coming through, uh, license plates, sticker fees coming back, that type of thing. Um, I, I don't know if that's enough to uh, you know, get someone off the couch and go to the polls and vote for you or not. But um, certainly, I think that there's a lot of bigger, more thoughtful policies on affordability that are going to have to come from every party, especially on things like housing. We talked about childcare, so uh, pocketbook issues are going to be the big, the big, uh, the big sticking point. I think. Yeah, you mentioned pre-pandemic Doug Ford, and if 
people remember where the, the Ford PCs were at the end of 2019, Doug Ford's approval ratings were in the tank. Uh, the party was trailing in the polls. It looked like this was already a failure of a government. Um, and then a couple of years later, it's his approval ratings back to where it was when he won the election in 2018. His party's back in the lead in the polls with a pretty solid advantage over the other parties. It does make you wonder though what could happen with the pandemic over the next um, you know, a couple months. Uh, there talk now about the sixth wave and that you know the government's really kind of opted out of trying to do anything about it. Maybe it'll all work out. And by the time you know we get into the mid-campaign, this wave has receded again and the hospitals haven't had been overwhelmed or anything, but it does seem like it could be a bit of a risk for the uh, for the Ford PCs if the timing works out badly for them. Yeah, I mean, remember just before the pandemic hit, we were talking about like visibility of license plates like that. That feels like a, a whole other lifetime to me now. Um, but you're right. I think that generally speaking, we've seen it in public polling and also, you know, what I'm hearing from the PCs that their own internal polling um, suggests that when the COVID situation is bad, things are closed, uh, people are unhappy and the government is unpopular. That's not uh, that's not super surprising. So uh, you know, it, it seems that Ontario has decided now we're going to, uh, you know, let the virus run. And, and I think, you know, uh, now we're seeing a lot of um, maybe backtracking on that a little bit as we're seeing cases come up. Uh, you know, Stephen Del Duca just came out today and, and called for um, bringing in indoor mask mandates in certain areas uh, just to kind of deal with this. Whereas we saw just, you know, a few days ago, he was in this uh, you know, campaign style rally with his candidates and, and they were all bunched together, a big crowd, no masks on. So, uh, you know, the, the public vibe is going to absolutely impact how the parties are dealing with this. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, reminding people about Doug Ford's failures, that's something that the opposition parties are really going to have to capitalize on. They haven't done it so much, but um, you know, reminding people, uh, remember that first budget the Conservatives put out back in 2018, all those cuts, sure, they've been reversed. But um, I think one line I heard from Stephen Del Duca was that uh, everyone knows the real Doug Ford, you know, he's really a cutter, he's not an investor. Um, so I, I, I don't know if the public's going to buy that. I think that folks that I'm speaking to, um, even people who might not vote Conservative, or they might be a Doug Ford hater, if I can put it that way, because Ford is, is kind of his own um, entity, politically speaking, you know, uh, as opposed to the traditional conservative party politics. But they think that the premier has done a decent job. You know, he, he's done his best in handling COVID. Um, it, it feels like a bit deja vu now, you know, with hospitalizations coming back. So it feels a bit touch and go. But I think with the weather getting better, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any... Um, any sign that people want to shut back down, at least from the government side right now. But of course, things could change. Yeah, of course, <laughs> that's politics. Uh, we'll finish on this just from, so just at this stage, we're a few weeks from the start of the campaign. Um, you've talked to you know people from each of the parties. What's your sense of the mood? Do, do the PCs feel confident? Does the opposition feel not confident? Uh, what's your sense of how people are feeling at this stage? Well, everyone's acting very confident. I can say that everyone uh, and maybe just because, you know, talking to the the reporters, it's like that. I think um, there there's uh, 
more of a concern about like where where the standings are, are going to be, I think. Like I know conservatives are, you know, are we going to be majority, minority? What happens then? So some of the closer races, I think they'll be pushing hard there. Um, and, and same with the, the liberals and the NDP. I mean, they're kind of battling each other out too right now. And so it'll be really interesting to see who gets official opposition. I know that the liberals are definitely trying very hard to get a lot of their Toronto area spots, their GTA spots back from the NDP. I mean, we could talk about 2018 again until the cows come home, you know, change election. I think a lot of those uh, ridings, uh, for instance, St. Paul's in Toronto, where I live, um, you know, we have an NDP representative in Jill Andrew now, um, but that riding even federally has been, you know, a, a, liberal, a liberal bastion. So I think, you know, people are, will tell you they're feeling confident. I think, um, uh, the, the money is, is also, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a, a, an area where they're feeling a bit, you know, weak, especially the, the, uh, on the liberal side of things, you know, they, uh, they brought Stephen Del Duca to power it as their leader, um, you know, boasting about his fundraising abilities. Some of the rules have changed, of course, um, but we've seen the liberals doing a lot of fundraisers. And so I think if anyone's feeling nervous, it might be them over the, their, their cash arsenal right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, everyone's, uh, everyone's acting like they're going to, they're going to take it home. Of course. Uh, spin, spin, spin. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, I know publicly they're going for government, but if on the inside or in their heads, they're vying for the official opposition status, having, you know, watched a lot of ele in ele uh, elections, if you're campaigning to be the official opposition, that's usually what you'll get. You won't get the government. So uh, we'll see if they're going to change their tone as things go on. We're only now three weeks or so until the call actually happens. There's going to be a budget between then and, uh, and now and then. So there's still be lots to go on. And then once camp campaign gets going, we'll have plenty to talk about, Sabrina. So uh, thanks again for joining me and looking forward to speaking to you uh, next time. Yeah, can't wait. Thanks again to Sabrina Nanji, and you can check out her newsletter at qpobserver.com. So there's a by-election taking place on Monday in Quebec, in the writing of Marie Victorin. This is a really fascinating contest that is a bit of a scene-setter for the October provincial election. The Parti Québécois is hoping for some signs of life, but it'll also be a test of the high support for the CAQ and the rising Quebec Conservatives. Because this is really going to be a by-election to watch, I'm inviting you to watch it with me. I'm going to be running a live stream of the by-election results on YouTube, giving you some live analysis of the numbers as they come in and answering your questions about the upcoming general election in the province. The live stream will start on Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll be joined by Philippe Fournier of 338canada.com, and I hope you'll tune in. You can find the live stream on my YouTube channel. Just search my name, and it'll come up, and you can also find links to it on therit.ca. Okay, that'll be it for the RIT podcast. Hope to see you on Monday night for the by-election live stream. And until then, keep safe and thanks for listening.